on this episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. One thing that I always encourage is getting on the court well ahead of time or, or getting off to the side and just warming up, making sure that the individual kind of gets to a point where their body is sweating before, generally speaking, your, your, your body temperature is elevated to the point where you're sweating, your muscles have a uh, good blood flow to it, and you're less likely to get injured. Not a guarantee, but less likely to get injured. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. I am Mike. I'm back on the podcast, thankfully. I, I was afraid that you guys have gotten rid of me, but I'm very thankful to be here. And with a very special guest, uh, Patricio Misitrano. Patricio, I have a little bio here, so I'm going to read it out and then uh, just give you the, the platform to talk a little bit. So you have a very impressive bio. You have over 20 years of experience as a highly valued tennis and platform tennis director and a, a tennis pro and a platform pro as well. Worked in many areas in the industry, including media, college coaching, resorts, country clubs, private and public facilities. Um, so you're a PPTR charter member. I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk about what that is. Uh, you also were the lead educational consultant, read on a lot of curriculum for PPTR. Um, you've been a member of many country clubs in our area. We've known you from a, a few different things, and we're lucky enough to be involved in some events with you. So uh, I'll give you the platform a little bit, if you don't mind telling us a little bit about your background, kind of what uh, got you into just racket sports in general. Well, thank you for having me. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I've been, you know, to, um, to your New Canaan office, to your, you know, Darien office mostly. Um, so I drive by them all the time. I think, you know, I think my kids and next door to the dairy in office, they go to the dentist. So I always stop by and I say hi, even if I don't have to come. Um, but thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you. So I, I got into, you know, tennis first as a kid. I grew up in Argentina. I started um, playing tennis at nine years old. And then I got, you know, really into it. You know, I would practice, you know, four or five times a week, play tournaments. And, you know, long story short, at some point I decided that I wanted to continue with my, um, you know, my studies in the U.S. So I moved to the U.S. to play and tennis in college. And then I got my second degree, two undergrads, and then I continued with an MBA. So I really got into tennis and I, I moved to Fairfield County. And a friend of mine who also happens to be, a, you know, like a tennis pickleball and, and, and paddle pro said at the time, yeah, you really should try paddle. So I thought it was sort of fun. And I started playing a little bit of paddle. And this is about 15, 15 years ago. It wasn't as popular as it is now. And there were very few pros who would teach full time. There were some who would teach a little bit. And most of the clubs in the area did not have a program they would teach some lessons and some of the members played on a team, but there were no programs. And I got more involved into it. I started playing tournaments. I started teaching a little bit and, you know, you know, I really got, you know, involved. I organized the, um, the nationals, the mixed nationals in 2014, I think. And at the time, and even today it's been like the largest mixed nationals, husband, wife. So I've done a lot of different things on the, platform tennis side and tennis industry too, as, as a tester, when some of the pros want to get certified. And I continue doing that with the PPTR on the platform tennis side. Awesome. So let's go in a little bit into platform tennis versus paddle tennis. I know there's some differences in terminology, heated courts, elevated courts. Can you just run us through the background of uh, one or the other, whatever one you want to start with, platform or paddle? Okay. So it, it gets a little confusing. I'm going to try to keep it simple because 
and the name itself and sometimes people call it in something different so the name of the sport is platform tennis and a lot of people call it paddle tennis sure now paddle tennis is really another sport <laughs> that and that is played or or is mostly played in the in west coast and and at some point that sport also changed its name to pop tennis so to make things a little, a little bit more confusing now there, there is another sport called in here in the u.s people call it padel p-a-d-e-l and and if you go to south america or if you go to europe they call it paddle so to add you know more confusion but the sport that we are discussing is called platform tennis if you say paddle tennis in this area people know what you're referring to so that's sort of like the nickname paddle or paddle tennis is sort of like the nickname you know you're okay if you say paddle or paddle tennis people will understand if you go to venice beach and you say paddle tennis they're gonna think you're talking about that other sport got it now in terms of the elevated courts and most of the platform tennis courts are on an elevated platform that's that's where the name comes from and the reason behind having a platform is so you can have underneath heaters that heat the surface the surface used to be um, wood but you know a couple decades ago they changed that to aluminum Um, so the, the surface gets heated and then that melts the snow or dries the rain. So you can play outside when it's raining. Not a lot of people do. I've done it many, many times. And, and matches and tournaments are played when it's raining. And it's really fun when it's snowing. Because you're outside, you know, you're playing, you're exercising. And it's snowing. And the snow, unless it's like a huge snowstorm, and it doesn't accumulate. So the heaters are able to keep up by, you know, melting melting the snow. Got it. So I think I- the logical transition into this being, you know, a, a winter sport. Are there individuals that do this year round? I know, I, I know actually some individuals that do play year round, but is it more popular in the winter sports and what's your, what's your enrollment kind of throughout the year? Yeah, it is more popular in the fall and winter. And the number one reason for that is because a lot of the players who play platform tennis and some play tennis in the summer, and I would say in this area or maybe in the Midwest as well, a lot of them play golf in the summer. So they choose to play, you know, golf or tennis, and then they don't have as much time to play platform tennis. But I have to say that over the last six to eight years, and more and more people are playing in the summer and their local leagues, you know, summer leagues in our area and in other areas as well. And the, the ball is made out of rubber. It's a solid rubber ball. And it gets warm in the summertime and then it bounces more. So it's a different type of play. And in the winter, when it gets really cold, it sort of bounces less and less and it's very hard. So the type of play, you know, changes from the winter time to the summertime. But for a lot of people, it's a year-round sport. Excellent. So let's go, I don't, we don't have to go into every rule, but generally speaking, for anyone who's unfamiliar um, in terms of sets and points, is it similar to tennis? Yeah, so the rules as far as how the score works is very, very similar. There are some uh, differences in in the tiebreaker. So you play two out of three sets, and when you get to 6-6, six, six, and the difference is how you switch sides in the tiebreaker. In tennis, you switch every six points. And in platform tennis, you switch after the first point. You actually start on the left of the court, but you start after the first point, the fifth, the ninth, and, and then every four points until 
someone wins the the tiebreaker by a difference of two points, first one to seven. And, but for the most part, it looks very similar. It looks in a way the court for the ones who are not super familiar with it is sort of like a mini tennis court. In a, uh, the size is 30 by 60, a tennis court is 60 by 120. And, but you have the court surrounded by chicken wire. So there are panels in the back and panels on the side. And they're 12 foot tall, the, the panels, and you can let the ball go into the chicken wire and then play it off the wire before it bounces. That's a big difference. Then you have one serve in platform tennis. And, and the other big difference is that you cannot smash the ball and into the court and then over the fence. So the ball has to always remain inside the cage. That's for the most part the, the big differences. That's a great general overview. I just wanted to make sure anyone who's listening is unfamiliar. I think you gave them a, a great background in, in the sport. So a couple of things that are highlighted to me, obviously this is the season where we see people very active in this community playing more frequently. On my side of the, the equation, obviously I get injuries associated with any sport. Uh, some of them are kind of unpreventable and inevitable. Anything that you see more commonly um, in these winter months during paddle season that, that are kind of your common sprain strain injuries, or what do you see from your athletes? And then I'll, I'll comment on my side. And so one of the things that we see is, you know, tennis elbow injuries and we see, um, you know, sprains and, you know, we see scrapes, <laughs> a lot of scrapes because the surface either, you know, either you fall and then you can scrape, you know, against the surface, which has a grip and that prevents people from, um, sliding on the court, but at the same time, you can get sort of stuck with the grid and, and it's there on, on purpose. So then, and when it's a little bit on the wet side, whether it's snow or rain and you can still play. So that's why the courts have grid, but at the same time, it makes it a little bit rough when you're playing tennis, even on hard courts, there's not that much grid and some players are able to slide into the shots. And if you're playing on hard true courts, it's even easier to slide. And, but we see, you know, um, tennis, you know, shoulders. I don't think they change as much other than I'm going to say, you know, maybe getting hit by the ball. I think people get hit and a little bit more when you're playing and platform tennis by the ball. And I don't know if that is, you know, a cause of, you know, coming to go and see you um, for those sort of injuries. And, but that's just because you are closer to your opponents, the court is a little bit smaller, but they are very similar to the type of injuries that I would see on the tennis court. Yeah, I would agree. That kind of matches my experience here. I think the one difference is you may see, at least I see on my side, from maybe the less experienced paddle uh, individual who's casually getting into the sport, there needs to be a little bit more of a demand, I think, for warming up appropriately, specifically because you're going into a colder ambient temperature. Obviously, the heat may come from, you know, the the court itself that may change the ball, et cetera. But generally speaking, the ambient temperature is pretty cold. So especially in this part of the country where people are always rushing to go from one place to another, dropping kids off, coming from work, getting on the court and playing, sometimes you can get away with that, although I wouldn't encourage it, with tennis in the summer. As we're in, in the winter, it's kind of a non-starter. So I do see a little bit more sprain-strain type injuries, muscle tears uh, associated with that, maybe some Achilles injuries. And, yeah, and I think that's yeah. one thing that I always encourage is getting on the court well ahead of time or, or getting off to the side and just warming up, making sure that the individual kind of gets to a point where their body is sweating before, generally speaking, your, your, your body temperature is elevated to the point where you're sweating, your muscles have a uh, good blood flow to it, and you're less likely to get injured. Not a guarantee, but less likely to get injured. Um, what do you got, what do you do with, uh, your athletes when you're working with them? Do you do a general kind of dynamic warm up before they're on court? 
So what you, you know, when you mentioned about, you know, the warm up and, and people, you know, running, you know, from one place to the next and then getting, you know, to the lesson or to the clinic or to the matches on time or like two minutes late and not having the, the, the time to do a proper warm up is something that I try to encourage everyone to extend their warm up as much as possible. You know, ideally you would show up there, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, you do a little dynamic warm up. And, and then, you know, you start warming up your shots and, you know, but we know that that's, you know, for some it's hard to do because you have limited amount of time. And so when it comes down to and matches, I always encourage them to get there 30 minutes early to do their warmups, you know, nice and easy. And, and that's one of the things that most players don't like to do because they think it's sort of a waste of time. And, and especially when it's not so much in a match, but when, you know, you're taking a lesson, and they're like, oh, I'm wasting my time doing this warm up. You know, I always try to still coach them while we're warming up, but it's so, so important. And I like to right away after we do, you know, like five to 10 minutes of just nice and easy warm up, all the shots, not only drives and volleys, but lobs and overhead. So you can warm up different muscles because if you only hit drives, 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 because you want to warm up your drives and then you don't warm up the overheads or you don't warm up the the serve you don't warm up the lobs then you're using different muscles to hit different shots and but i like to play points nice and easy so you start moving a little bit as you're warming up and i ideally i would encourage everyone to do a dynamic warm-up and but if not i try to use the okay let's start playing points it doesn't matter you know i usually try to play it based on time more than to play to a specific number to to make them move and you know to start having fun as they're warming up because the, the warm-up is the part that most players don't like and i think it's it's, it's very very important yeah, it's vitally important. It's the same thing that we get on the the therapy or training side here. If someone's coming in for a personal trainer, they we generally say if you can, you want to get that ten minutes of warm up in ahead of time. That's fine. But either way, we're going to carve it out into your session because if you're you know feeling like you're wasting time, it's even more of a waste of time if you get injured and then you're not able to come in for a couple of weeks. So just the, I yeah. echo that to the athletes as well. It's really important, especially in those winter months for sure. Is there anything about the nature of a shorter court where people maybe a little less experience? A little bit more stop, start, jerky. I hear it can be hard on individuals' knees as they're first starting out. Maybe some court management. Any technical aspects where, where you're finding more injuries maybe associated with people not being as familiar with the sport as they need to be? And so one of the shots that I would say it could lead to some sort of injury. Well, you know, if you don't have the if you don't use the proper technique, that definitely is going to, you know, hurt. And you know, and on the overheads the tennis overhead tends to be as, you know, a high point of contact and then you're smashing the ball down on the platform tennis side. There are different types of overheads, but for the most part is the low, the point of contact is a little bit lower. And the idea behind a lower point of contact is trying to keep the ball lower on your opponent's side, because if you hit down too much, then the ball is going to bounce up. And then you give your opponents a chance to drive the ball down at your feet. So the point of contact on platform tennis on overheads is, is, is um, a little bit lower than in tennis. So sometimes people tuck in their elbow close to their hip and then they're using, you know, their elbow too much and that, you know, causes some elbow pain. So the point of contact should be close to their head with the elbow higher and not so close to their, um, their hip. I don't know if that makes sense for people listening. 
Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I think biomechanics and just how the individual is using their body where the same thing in tennis is, is you know, using that, that racket, using your wrist, everything kind of as a mechanism to hit the ball, but it's not necessarily where you're generating power. The power is generated by moving your hips, moving your torso, and kind of just yeah. getting to the ball in appropriate time and cadence. So it's definitely important. Um, anything with the grip or the racket that you're noticing that could be different? Is the, the reverberation off the racket a little bit harder because it's colder? Anything that you've noticed that from that standpoint? So the other thing is that sometimes, and for the ones who, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get too technical with this, and, but when you hold onto the paddle and imagine that you're holding onto a hammer and you're going to hammer something on the wall with the edge of the paddle, that is the grip that most players should and strive to use when they volley. Sort of like this, and then you're going to make contact with the back end of your hand or the paddle. Now, there are some players that use sort of like a windshield wiper movement to volley, mm-hmm. which is fine if the ball is high, but it can lead to injuries when you're trying to use this you know, windshield wiper motion on a lower ball. So then it becomes, you know, not only they have limited in, um, types of um, in volleys from down below, when the ball is high, you can do it, but when the ball is low, you're, you're limited but then also can lead to injuries because you are putting a lot of extra stress on the elbow area. Got it. So let's switch gears a little bit. You mentioned early on pickleball, which I think is now the fastest growing sport in the country. From what I heard, I think I saw that on the today show or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It's exceptionally popular. Um, what do you, what got you guys into it besides popularity? You know, obviously it's a racket sport and it kind of, what have you seen? What got you excited about it? And, and give us a little background on what you do there. Well, one of the, the things that got me first into platform tennis was the fact that it was very social. And, you know, the fact that you're much closer, you know, to your partner on the court and your opponents make, makes it more social. On the, on the tennis court, you're really far from, from your partner and your opponents. And on the pickleball side, it's, it's the same. You're really close to everyone on the court. And one of the, the things, one of the main reasons why pickleball is so popular is because it's very easy to start and play it. You can put a pickleball paddle into anybody's hand and you, you can hit the ball. You know, you play with a wiffle ball and so you can, you know, you can play. And there are other sports that are a little bit, you know, more challenging and difficult to, I don't want to say master, but to be able to play and, and have fun on the pickleball side, it's very easy to just get out there and play. That's number one. Number two, and the the courts are cheaper to build <laughs> than platform tennis courts or tennis courts. And and on the tennis side, and you know they require more real estate, so it's cheaper to build. It's easier to play. It's social. That's why it's growing. And I was one of the first ones who said, "Ah, oh, that's not for me." You know, older folks play it, and yeah, no, I play tennis. I play paddle, and now. But, you know, I play it, I teach it, and, and it's so much fun. Yeah, I played it, and I thought the same thing. I was like, God, oh, this is generally, like, at that time, it was a little bit of an older person sport. Maybe it was not for yeah. me. But it's very fun, and you can play with individuals that are of all different types of shapes and sizes and skill yep. sets, right? You could the the level the playing field is relatively level because there's not a tremendous amount based on court size and you know accessibility that you know athleticism plays a role if you're higher level but just with the go out and yeah. have fun you can have many exactly. people playing and, and it, it's very it's very fun 
I think, you know, again, this podcast is built around obviously learning a lot more about paddle sports, but injuries and things that we may notice, I think there are some injuries associated with anything. This is not to scare anybody, but with pickleball, I think because it is so popular, so many people are starting out and doing it. And it's good that it's getting some people active off the couch where they maybe weren't previously active. And I do think some of the minor injuries that I saw, again, sprain strains, nothing major, have been people going zero to 60 where they're very intense about it and they become obsessed with it pretty quickly, which is great. But again, prepping the body, preparing, warming up appropriately, you know, if you're not on an exercise and fitness regimen, you know, kind of train for your sport may not be a professional at it, but training for the sport appropriately and making sure that you're exercising the muscles that you're going to be utilizing. So you're not going in cold and getting injured, but generally speaking safe and people can do it for a lifespan, which is what I love. Kind of like golf. It's, it it ages well with you uh, like a fine wine for sure. Yeah, so with the pickleball, so there are a few things that in terms of footwork and technique that are different than, you know, tennis or platform tennis. And I think that players need to be really careful with their, you know, inner thighs, the abductors, because the movement around the kitchen line or the non-volley zone line is more to the side than across. And so you need a lot of strength and flexibility in that area. And then the lower back, because you're also, when you're around the kitchen line and you're going to be actually leaning a little bit more forward and not with your, you know, shoulders facing, you know, down or your chest facing down, but you are slightly facing more forward in that position. So it could lead to, you know, some, some, some back, but, and the, the players who, you know, whether it's pickleball, tennis or platform tennis, if you go from zero to 60, no warm up, then, you know, that that's not a good uh, that's not a good idea. I think you mentioned an important thing, you know, specifically those groin muscles, those adductor muscles on the inside of the thigh. Those are ones as you're moving side to side that a lot of people aren't used to. We we tend to be a little bit linear. Maybe someone's a runner. They're walking. That's their exercise program. They're not necessarily going side to side as much. So it's really important to get those muscles loosened up and also to have some type of strength there. I know simple exercise, bridging, squeezing a ball, doing some things where you're you're activating those muscles is important for sure. Anything uh, that we haven't touched on the, I mean, there's tons, but anything from a common injury standpoint or anything that you're noticing, uh, how we can help you on the therapy and fitness side of things as a pro. And, and maybe we could talk about that relationship a little bit more. Well, the, you know, and we've been, you know, we've said it a, a number of times, but, and, and I, you know, some of your, your trainers, I know a lot of them. And I know that if the, the, you know, players or the athletes, if they stay healthy and they don't have to go and see you when they are injured, if they stay healthy and strong, then it's a win-win for everyone, you know, and they don't lose any time, you know, trying to recover from an injury. They can play more, they can, you know, have more fun. I think it's so important that the players do those two things that they stay and working out and exercising and trying to get strong when they are healthy and that they really take, you know, into that they take seriously the warm-ups before they play any sort sort of sport. Like, you know, if I'm playing golf, then I'm gonna do a little bit of a different and uh, warm-up. If I'm going out for a run, I'm gonna be doing a little bit of a different warm-up. If I'm playing tennis or pickleball or platform tennis, but to keep, you know, like telling everyone, hey, you need to do this, this is really, really important. 
Yeah, I think you touched on a lot of key features. The things that I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, because we talk about it a lot ad nauseum about this podcast, is you know, f- fueling your body appropriately. So nutrition and hydration is, is key. A lot of people, because they're not in a summer environment, not in an ambient temperature that's 95, they're not drinking as much water in the wintertime. Really important. You still need to hydrate just as much as you would year-round. Natalia actually just took a sip of her water as I'm saying this. So going out into a cold court doesn't mean you don't need to hydrate. So a lot of under-hydrated individuals could get injured as well. Make sure you're fueling your body appropriately a carbohydrates before protein afterwards just just a basic balanced diet is, is important as well and then knowing when not to do things whether it be exercising with me on the training side or whether it be going out on the paddle court you know maybe the most intense matches shouldn't occur if you're slept really poorly you're kind of high stress sometimes that's when injuries will occur so we talk about it again i think i'd be remiss if i didn't if i didn't touch on it here yeah i have you know i'm an amateur runner and I have my coach who goes and, you know, see you guys, you know, from time to time and Heather Nightbeck. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who like, you know, keeps telling me, you know, well, not only the, and the nutrition and the hydration and, you know, the, all the invisible training that we do before and after we exercise or we compete is, is extremely, extremely important. And, and it has to be also, you know, sort of customized to, you know, how you are, you know, the things that I, how much I need to drink or how, how much, you know, um, you know, salt tablets I, I take when I'm on a long run or when I am playing, you know, a three hour match is different than somebody else because I sweat more, but then that is going to be, it's going to make me maybe more prone to, you know, getting injured. <laughs> so we're all, all a little bit different, but we have to understand what works for us. Yep, no, absolutely. But I think if you, you touch on the main things, flexibility, working out before, prepping. I think on our end, I asked you this question and I'll reverse it. What we can do on the training and therapy side of things is making sure that if someone is getting injured and we're hitting all the boxes on our end, they're exercising well, they're sleeping, they're you know recovering well, they're doing everything well but they're still getting injured on a regular basis. It's probably something with their mechanics and you know, we'll, we'll take care of the, what the body can do, but we don't mess with the things that you're really good at, right? And getting you, and if it's running, getting you know, Heather involved and, and getting a team approach to this professional, you know, whether it be paddle pro, tennis pro, and then on my professional side, the physical therapy and training side, that, that's the best balance. So we'll kind of enhance what the body can do, but we're only gonna give you the tools to go into a training session with you and really have an enhancing lesson. So I think that team approach has worked time and again, and whether it be golf and the TPI model, tennis and racket sports with the racket fit model, that's what it's all based around is a, a bunch of individuals that really care about that athlete on the other side and trying to enhance it. And whether you be a CEO, a stay-at-home parent, or someone who's actually you know going on the professional levels, like everyone nowadays has the resources available to them virtually or otherwise to try to do some type of, of professional athlete type training and, and, and balancing all these things is important. So I appreciate you coming on. Uh, anything on your end that you'd wanted to point out that we missed before we let you go? Um, no, no. I think we, we covered, uh, you know, a lot of different things. And I like the idea of thinking this, uh, you know, as, sort of like a team for that, you know, and, you know, high school athlete or college athlete, or, you know, someone who doesn't compete as much, but, you know, think about a team of people who are going to help you become as good as you can be. And even if you're not, you know, the the best player at your club or in your league or on your team, and even if you're just, you know, playing for fun, that you need a team of, you know, people who are going to be helping you and guide you to, you know, play and get better and and stay healthy. Absolutely. Amen. I love it. I think everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, Hopefully you can give us a shout out on some social media if you're enjoying it. If you have a specific request on what you'd love us to talk about, feel free to reach out at what's email? 
podcast at performanceoptimalhealth.com. Thank you, Natalia. Patricia, I really appreciate your time. This was great. I know we can go on and on, but I think for our listening audience, we'll kind of stop it there and appreciate you. Well, thank you for having me. Of course.